Thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Good morning, church. You're invited to the table, amen? All right, if you have your Bibles, you're going to need them. Let's turn to Acts chapter 13. If you need a Bible, there should be a black hardback ESV somewhere near you there in the pew. And if you need a Bible, that's our gift to you. We're going to cover a lot of scripture this morning, and I'm pretty excited about it. I hope you are. And so uh, get ready with your fingers and your uh, index and all those things, because we're going to jump around. Uh, Acts chapter 13, we're picking up where we left off last week. And so where we left off last week was Paul and Barnabas. They're on their first missionary journey. What they've done is they left Antioch of Syria, where they're at a Gentile sending out church. And so they've been sent out. They go across to the island of Cyprus. They land on one side. They travel all the way across the island, and they teach there. And then they head north across uh, across that little span of water to modern-day Turkey. And so that's where they kind of end up right now. And Paul is going to give his first recorded sermon. And so this is a kind of a big deal as you get into Scripture here. He gets to this first recorded sermon, and the whole sermon is about the promise of salvation. So it's the promise of salvation. Let me ask you, have you ever made a promise? You ever said, uh, you ever said like a kid, you know, and you're like, hey, I crossed my heart and I hope to die, right? Like, I promise, I crossed my heart, right? You ever do that? Anyone? Yeah, this is... This is that part of the sermon where there's like interaction. Okay, so maybe pinky promise. You ever done a pinky promise? A pinky promise. Now, the origin of pinky promise, this is going to change it for you a little bit, is probably out of Japan. And, uh, And so if you were to pinky promise and you broke that promise, they'd cut your pinky off. So you want a pinky promise? I don't think so, right? No, pinky promise. So we've all made promises. Sometimes we make promises. We make them flippantly. Sometimes we make promises that we, we really want to really hold on to. There's a lot of us in here as, as adults. Maybe we've sat there. We've looked eye to eye with a spouse, and we've said, look, today, I promise, for better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and in health, till death do us part. I promise you, right, you're the one. Now, the, the thing with that is, is that many of us in this room, we've, we've been wounded by broken promises. Uh, like myself, growing up in a single-parent home, I, I know the pain of broken promises. And many of you know the pain of broken promises in different aspects of that. And so when we think about the promises that are made and we think about the promise of salvation, we're, we're left with this idea of, well, a promise is only as strong as the person who gives them. I mean, I... I didn't come up with that. Someone else came up with that. I stole that quote. I don't know who it is, but it's only as strong as the person who makes the promise. So when we get to Paul's sermon here and he gives this promise of salvation, how strong of a promise is it? Because who's making the promise? Our God is a promise-keeping God. And so Like I said, hold your finger there in Acts 13, but we're going to be doing some jumping today, and I didn't have enough slides or enough patience to paste and copy all of the scripture into those slides, and so we're going to look at it in God's word today, and so uh, Genesis chapter 9 is where we're going to start. Genesis 9, 11 through 15. We serve a God who is able to keep his promises. Promises go all the way back to the very beginning as God is a covenant-keeping God. Just like marriage is a covenant that you enter in, is a promise that you enter in, God's a covenant-keeping God. He's a promise-keeping God. And so we see very early on 
He makes promises. He makes covenants. Starting verse 11, I established my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. I want to remind you that the rainbow in the sky is a beautiful reminder that God is a promise-keeping God. It's a reminder of a promise, not a symbol of pride. It's a reminder of God's promise and his patience with fallen humanity. And so it should be a reminder to us to pray. That's it. Every time we see a rainbow, in whatever form or fashion we see it, it should remind us that there is a God who is holy, 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 who is good and who is gracious, who is loving and who is kind, who is patient with each and every one of us, and who makes covenant promises that he cannot break. And so let's pray. Let's be reminded to pray for those who don't know God. Friends, family members, loved ones, ones we don't even know that desperately need to know the love of God. He's a good God. Amen? And so we pray. So let's do that right now. Will you join me? Gracious Father, we come to a point where we stop when we remember that you're a good, promise-keeping God. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your justice. And we thank you for your mercy. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to be patient and that you would bring many to repentance. Right now, Lord, we ask that for those that we know, those that you know, that walk in darkness, that they would see light. Those who are under your wrath, God, would find and be given the gift of repentance through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father God, that the unrighteous, that if they don't turn from their ways, will not inherit the kingdom of God, but, Lord, that they would find you to be a loving Father, drawing them to you. Father, we pray right now for those who are living in immorality, those who are deceived, those who are in idolatry, those who are in adultery, those who are practicing homosexuality, those who have been confused, those who are in gender confusion and those who are prideful, those who are thieves, those who are murderers, those who are gossips, those who are greedy, those who are drunkards, those who are druggies, those who are lost and need to be desperately found. God, 
God, do amazing works in the hearts of people who don't know you. Draw the unbeliever to you. You're a promise-keeping God, and you're a good God. So we lift up names to you that are in our minds. Fill our hearts with hearts of love, not hearts of hate. And God, may you be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. God's a promise-keeping God. Flip over with me to Hebrews. It's going to be quite a jump from Genesis to Hebrews. But these verses are beautiful verses. These verses are the verses that I really want you to see in the black and white there. Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 20. You're going to love this. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Now, let me just pause there. Isn't that a great line? God literally swore to God, okay? (laughs) That's what that means. That's awesome verse. I think I can get away with saying that. 14, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Did you hear that? It is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let me just say this. God says, look, I got nothing, nothing, I'll make a promise, and I've got nothing greater to make a promise on. I don't cross my heart and hope to die. I don't pinky promise. So I'm going to swear to myself because I'm the greatest thing that there ever is. And so I'm going to swear to myself, and I'm even going to make an oath. So when we make an oath, maybe you're in court and you say, okay, put your right hand on the Bible, right? I think it's your right hand. I've not been in court, so see, I don't know. So you put your hand on the Bible, and you repeat, like, you know, I make an oath. I swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth. What? So help me God. I'm going to make an oath because I am a fallen person, and my words really don't matter much because I can break promises like it's nobody's business, right? I can go back on my word. I can be like, well, I lied, or I was wrong, or I had better intentions, and it didn't really work out, but... God says, look, there's nothing for me to swear on. There's nothing for me to put my hand on. So I'm just going to, I'm going to give you two promises here. I'm going to swear to myself and I'll make an oath on myself because I can not lie. God is a promise keeping God. Isn't that amazing? So if God says it, it's going to happen. So flip over to chapter 10. I'd like to hear those pages move. That's pretty cool. Hebrews 10. I think I heard someone's phone swipe. Just kidding. I did if you didn't turn your volume off, right? 
All right, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Did you hear that? Let me read that again. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Listen, you have been perfected in Jesus Christ through his sacrifice for all time. And right now, you're being sanctified. This is an already not yet statement. This is beautiful. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Here's another promise. You've been made, per- you've been made perfect, like you've been perfected for all time and you're being sanctified, promise. Here's another promise. I will remember your sins and lawless deeds no more because I will write my words on your heart and on your minds through the power of the Holy Spirit. These are promises that cannot be changed because God's a covenant-keeping God. He's a promise-keeping God. This is good stuff. You look pretty excited. Okay, let's keep going. 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Wow. He's a promise-keeping God. He made a promise a long time ago to Abraham. And we are brought in, we are grafted in, that those who are in Jesus Christ have been given forgiveness of sins. They've been filled with the Spirit. He has written his word on their hearts, and he will remember your sins no more. And guess what? That is a promise. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that good? So I I say all of that to let you know, this is what Paul shows up and he says, listen, there's a promise of salvation and I need to tell you about it. So Acts chapter 13, now flip back. Now now we're gonna be there for a minute. The promise of salvation in Jesus Christ. Acts 13, starting verse 14. But they went on from Persia and came to Antioch and Pisidia. Let me pause there. A little confusing. I thought they left Antioch, right? Well, that was Antioch in Syria, and now they're in Antioch in modern-day Turkey. It's kind of like Cleveland. You ever go to Cleveland? Cleveland, Tennessee, Cleveland, Ohio, Cleveland, Georgia. Which one do you want to talk about? This is Antioch. Antioch, which one are you talking about? So here we are, Antioch, Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down, verse 15. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, If you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. 
And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. I love how that word, how that's worded. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do my will, all my will. For this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he, there it is, promised, as he promised. Paul and Barnabas, they make their way to Antioch in this area that's probably at an elevation of 3,600 feet. They would have had to travel through dangerous uh, mountain passageways to get there. This is one of the reasons they think John Mark probably skipped out and was like, I don't think I want to go on this part of the journey. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem, catch up with you all later. And so they make this journey there, and they're given the opportunity to speak to the synagogue. Maybe they heard that Paul was taught by the great Galamel and that he has all this great Jewish knowledge, and they're like, hey, would you like to, would you like to share something? He's like, oh, I'd like to share something. I'd like to tell you the biblical narrative of God's redemptive plan throughout history that leads to Jesus Christ. They're not expecting that last part, but he's going to lead them all the way to the point of saying, listen, all of these things that were promised to your forefathers are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is the promise. So he says, men of Israel and those who fear God. So he's saying, hey, you Jewish men and you Gentiles who have converted to Judaism, I want you to understand this. Long ago, he chose our fathers. He chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He chose them, and he created a great nation under Egypt. And as they were created in this great nation under Egypt, he then led them out into the wilderness, and they wandered for 40 years. And then they entered the land of Canaan, the promised land. And then he removed all of these nations. And Deuteronomy 7.1 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Jezreelites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Mosquitoites, seven nations before, more numerous and mightier than you. God is going to remove them for you. So this is, he's like, I'm giving you this history. He chose our forefathers. He created a great nation, a people of his own possession. They were there for 400 years in Egypt. He brings them out. They wander. He he carries them through the wilderness for 40 years. He, he deals with them for 40 years, right? And then for another 10 years, they're taking over the land of Canaan. So it's about 450 years is what Paul says. All of this is taking place. And then they ask for a king. So he gives them Saul. And then it says, and then God removes Saul and gives them David. In David, he found a man after his own heart. Is it, is ever baffled you that David is a man after God's own heart? I mean, really, if you, if you read about David, this guy who killed people, this guy who slept with another man's wife and then had him killed, I mean, this, this guy, really? The whole point is this beautiful overarching promise that is made throughout Scripture. And are you ready for it? It's grace. Grace. A beautiful, overarching gift through the Bible is grace. 
That means the promise of salvation is by means of grace and not by means of goodness. He chose the forefathers. He created for himself a people. He dealt with them all the way through the wilderness. He brings them into a land. He destroys the the mosquito bites. He does all of this because he's working all things out for his glory and his purpose and his plan and his promise. This is God's sovereign grace. God's sovereign grace means that we are saved in spite of ourselves. God initiated the process of grace with his promise to the forefathers. He moved all of history to accomplish it in Jesus Christ, and he brings it to individuals who are rebels deserving his judgment. Grace. Grace, grace. God's grace. Will you flip over to Romans chapter 11 with me? We're going to look at Romans 11, 5 and 6, and we're going to look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Romans 11. Should be just a few pages over. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it is no longer the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. God's promise is based on God's grace. It started a long time ago with a promise, and it weaves its way all the way through the pages of Scripture and now gets to us, and we can see that there is a promise of salvation that is not dependent upon our goodness. It's dependent upon God's grace and his mercy. This is why we go to Ephesians chapter 2. A few more pages over. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let me stop right there for just a second. In the coming ages, listen, we cannot grasp how great grace is, and it's going to take ages and ages and ages for him to reveal it to us. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's a beautiful overarching promise of salvation throughout all of Scripture, and it finds its basis in God's grace, not by works. God's grace is greater than all our sin. Grace is greater. It's greater than all your sin. God's promised grace is greater than our inability to keep our promises to him. 
You ever broke a promise to God? God, I promise you get me out of this, I'm never doing it again. <laughs> Is that just me? God, I promise if you let me pass this test, I'll promise I'll study next time. I said a bunch of those in college. God, I promise. God's promised grace is greater than your inability to keep your promises to him. Amen? Because he who made a promise is faithful. And we are, when we are not faithful, guess who still is? He is. Because he cannot lie. He can't go against himself. He can't change his character. He can't hold things back. He's a gracious, loving God who loves us in spite of our treason, in spite of our sins. And he gives us a beautiful gift. And here's the reason why David is a man after God's own heart. You ready? Because God placed his spirit within him and that spirit within him, when he broke promises, led him back to repentance. He was broken before God. Listen, as a, as a person who loves Jesus Christ, listen, our entire life is one of breaking promises and repenting. Knowing that he's faithful to forgive us if we confess our sins to him, amen? So when I, when I fail, I fall before him and I'm, God, I know that you have removed my sins as far as the east or from the west. I know that you're a faithful God, that you're holding me right now, but I still want to just fall before you in repentance and say, God, I'm sorry for breaking my promises. Thank you for never breaking yours. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the promise of salvation? Turn with me to Psalms 51. Just go right, right in the middle of your Bible. You'll be close. I'll try that and see if I'm right. Psalm 56, I was really close. This is, this is the Psalm of David after being caught in a sin with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. He's like, I was born sinful. And in my sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with his sop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let my bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Do you hear that? God, I broke my promise. Restore me. Because you're faithful. You're a promise-keeping God. Back in Acts chapter 13, verse 23, of this man's offspring, Peter. I mean, not Peter, David. This man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he 
promised. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Jesus is the promise. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God moves history to reveal his grace and his purpose in Jesus Christ for the promise of salvation. And so those of us who are in Christ, listen to this, R.C. Sproul puts it, we're people of repentance. Repentance for sin and serving Christ to go hand in hand. Such that you cannot repent for sin unless you are a servant of Christ and you cannot serve Christ unless you repent for sin. What a great, what a great quote. What R.C. Sproul is saying is that repentance is a gift of God's grace. By grace, he moves you to a, mo- a moment of realizing that you've broken your promise and that you are, you are heartbroken. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I, I am wretched. I'm a sinner. And though you've removed my sins through Jesus Christ, I repent. And I fall before you. And I'm in desperate need of your faithfulness and your goodness in this moment. And listen to this. You cannot serve Christ unless you repent for sin. Here's what this means. You can't be a follower of Christ if you think sin's okay. There's something that's not changed in your heart and your mind. He hasn't written his word on your heart and mind if that's how you feel about it. Now, are there times where we lapse and we become like prodigal sons? Yes. And I don't know how long that time period is. But I know there's a faithful God who stands on the front porch waiting for me to come home if I do that. Amen? It's beautiful. It's grace. Grace, grace. God's grace. It's greater than all of our sin. Number two, the power of salvation in Jesus Christ. So we have the promise of salvation, now we have the power of salvation. Verses 24 through 37. Before his coming, John, this is John the Baptist, had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No. But behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled, by, fulfilled them by condemning them. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Verse 32. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Did you see that promise fulfilled? 
as also it is written in the second Psalm, as, as Al referenced. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served his purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So here's what he says. There's the promise of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's fulfilled in the power of Jesus Christ in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's a, there's a sure promise because we see a sure resurrection. The fulfillment of God's promise is proven in the resurrection. The resurrection is the power of salvation. Romans 10, 9 would say, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you see that part there? That God raised him from the dead? This isn't that we just, in our hearts, accept a fact. There's a lot of people in the world who take this as a history book and say, yeah, I believe that is fact. I believe that actually happened, but it's being more than that. It's being more confident in the fact that everything was accomplished on your behalf through Jesus Christ. That apart from Jesus, you are still dead in your trespasses, that you are still in your sins, that it doesn't matter how good you are, you need Jesus Christ to die on your behalf, to pay the sacrifice of all times, to give you forgiveness of sins. And just so you know that that payment was final, he rose from the grave. It's like getting the receipt. Oh, I paid for that. Well, do you have your receipt? Well, no, I didn't keep the receipt. Well, we don't know if you really paid for that. Jesus rose from the grave, and that's the receipt. Listen, paid in full. That's the power of the resurrection. And so we believe that. Charles Spurgeon had said this, the resurrection is this. It's evidencing power, justifying power, and life-giving power. It is the evidence that he is who he said he was. He said he was God, and he rose from the grave, defeating death. It is justifying power, meaning that we have been justified in his death because he is alive, meaning it is life-giving power. He is the resurrection and the life. All of this is because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, verse 35. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served his purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. So he was buried and he decayed. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. The tomb's empty. The tomb is empty. Death is defeated. Death wears your sting. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the seal of his promise. So I'm going to real quick go through five things that we know for sure are a promise because of the resurrection. Number one, we have a Savior who is alive. He has defeated our greatest enemy, death. Romans 6, 9 says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Amen? All right, number two, we have forgiveness of sins. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. The resurrection of Christ proves to us the promise that we have been forgiven. Number three, we have been born again. 
1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through the resurrection, we now have a living hope. We have been born again. John 3.3, Jesus said, answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 11. 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? There is power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it is the fulfillment of the promise that we get to hold to. It is a living hope that we are no longer dead in our sins, but we have newness of life. We're Pentecostal. Somebody went, woo! But we're Baptist, so I'll settle for an amen. There you go. Four, we have assurance of his return. Acts 1.11, we read this several months ago. He said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. He's coming back. It's a promise. And we, number five, have eternal security with him. You, you know what's great? I'm going to read these verses. But you know what's great? You can count on it. Because he cannot lie. Not only did he make a promise, he made an oath. He can't break the oath. And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to raise from the dead so that you have this hope. So he says in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We are eternally secure in him. 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. We have a hope. We have a promise. It's the power of Jesus Christ in his resurrection. So good. Those who have put their faith and hope in Christ have seen the promise of eternal life fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ and now live with a living hope, knowing that God keeps his promises. That should put a smile on your face. That should put a smile on your face. Don't get too excited. But we have a living hope. God keeps his promise. I love it. Finally, third, the proclamation of salvation in Jesus Christ. The promise, the power, the proclamation. Verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So he's told the whole story. It's been grace from the beginning. God's, he's moved heaven and earth. He's moved all of history. He's fulfilled it in his son, Jesus Christ. You got proof because of the resurrection of the dead. And now this is being proclaimed to you that this is how you get forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from, the, from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should, be, should come about. Look, you scoffers. Be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, 
a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. So Paul gets to this point and he says, all these promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ and are proclaimed to you and you can have forgiveness of sins and you can have eternal life if you respond accordingly. What a beautiful gospel message Paul preaches. It's the promise of salvation. It's the power of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the dead. Will you respond accordingly? He says there in verses 38 and 39, the word freed, and he says it twice. The word freed is also translated justified in many of other versions. He refers to more than just our sins being taken away through forgiveness. No, it's much bigger. It refers to God declaring us righteous in his sight through the merits of Jesus Christ alone. Meaning that we can stand before God as if we have never sinned before because of the blood of Jesus Christ. One day, here's the promise. If you are in Christ, you will stand before him and you will stand washed clean as if you've never sinned. Isn't that amazing? What a promise. What a promise that the power of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us life eternal. What a beautiful promise. And then he says, but let me remind you of what happened to Judah. Let me remind you of what was said of the prophets in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Let me, let me say this to you. He warns them not to respond as scoffers to the promise of God. Paul quotes Habakkuk 1.5, which warned Judah of the judgment of God that he would bring on them through the Babylonians because of their unrepentant hearts. You know the story. Babylonians come in and wipe them out. Take them into exile. The conclusion is the same. Paul concludes his sermon with this, just as God surely carried out the judgment on Judah, so he will on all who scoff at his gracious promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. He's a holy, loving God, but he's also just. And he has moved heaven and earth to show you his grace, that it's not about your goodness that you receive salvation. He sent his one and only son to die in your place, the sacrifice of all sacrifices so that your sins could be washed clean. So do not scoff at the offer to present your life to him. I'm all yours. Don't walk away with an unrepentant heart is what Paul says. And this is why I love 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Oh, I look at this world He is so patient. He is so patient with all of us. He is so patient with his promise. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I pray today that God gives you the gift of repentance. Let's pray. Father, What a beautiful promise. 
God, that you are sovereignly in control of all things. And you're working all things out for your good and your glory. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that in him the promise is fulfilled and in him we have the hope of a resurrection. Father, those who walk in a scoffing manner, draw them to repentance. Break their hearts today. Move them into a moment of just weeping before you, just falling before you because you are a good and gracious king. Is it in Christ's name we pray and we respond. Will you stand? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Go to our website, meadowviewbaptist.com or subscribe to hear more sermons like this or to get more information about how to be involved at Meadowview Baptist.